Welcome to The Follow-Up, a weekly podcast that goes in-depth into projects recently reviewed on Brand New, featuring conversations with the designers and sometimes their clients, uncovering the context, background, and design decisions behind the work. Hi, this is Armin Vitt, and welcome to episode number 59 of The Follow-Up. This week, we're following up on Rhode Island School of Design, RISTI for short, a private nonprofit college founded in Providence, Rhode Island in 1877. It is one of the first art and design schools in the United States. About 2,500 students from around the world engage in liberal arts studies and rigorous studio-based learning, where they earn bachelor's or master's degrees in 22 majors. Its mission is to educate its students and the public in the creation and appreciation of works of art and design, to discover and transmit knowledge, and to make lasting contributions to a global society through critical thinking, scholarship, and innovation. The project, co-created by RISD's in-house design team and Brooklyn, New York-based Gretel, was posted on Brand New on October 3, 2022. You can pull it up on your browser at bit.ly slash bnpodcast059, that is bit.ly slash bnpodcast059, all in lowercase. This week, we're joined by Andrea Trabuco Campos, Creative Director at Gretel, and Hui Vu, Creative Director at RISD. In this conversation, we learn one particularly surprising fact about RISD that prior to this exercise, it had never had a formal identity. Like, what? This made the need for a robust research, discovery, and strategy phase to help uncover what the school stood for and what it needed to communicate that even more important. This stage of the process yielded the guiding idea of quote, question to create, create to question, end quote. This, in turn, provided a framework that made matters more interesting as every decision was up for discussion and re-examination. Add to that a completely transparent process that cataloged and chronicled every step for the RISD community to access, and you would think this would be an insurmountable challenge. But with everybody involved committed to the process and the guiding idea, they managed to complete it by, well, making it incomplete. What do I mean? Well, let's listen in as Bryony follows up with Andrea and Hui. Designing for yet-to-be designers, designers in the making, and practicing designers is something I understand to be a very unique challenge. Adding an open process to the complexity could be a disastrous move. But in the case of RISD's recent rebrand, it was, it seems, just what was needed in this particular moment in time. So let's find out why. Andrea and Hui, welcome to the follow-up. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you for having us. If you could just each take a minute to introduce yourselves and let our audience know where you're coming from. My name is Hui Fu. I work as the creative director in the RISD marketing communications team. And I'm Andrea Trabuco Campos. I am a creative director at Gretel and helped with leading the project of RISD at Gretel. Very excited to have you both. I think it's important to establish some context in the beginning. We, the why now of a rebrand is something that our audience often considers. 
And I think it would be helpful for everyone to understand the chronology of RISD's most recent strategic plan and the plan to rebrand as it was all impacted by the pandemic and conflicts outside of the pandemic as well over the last few years. Can you lay the groundwork for that? Sure. I mean, it's actually a very long and windy road. The reality is we actually kicked this project off before the pandemic. I think just starting to think about the project, I believe in like late 2018, we didn't start going out in an official capacity until I think the beginning of 2019. Just for some context, RISI's never really had an institution-wide identity. We've had like variations, we've had colors, we've had logos, but nothing comprehensive, nothing wide-reaching, and nothing to really establish a sense of an institution. I'd say they're probably more like visual artifacts than anything else. In general, as an institution and as an organization communicating in ways that were like wildly expressive, wildly diverse, that just speaks to the creativity of our community, definitely caused a lot of confusion. It's hard to know, you know, what was RISD, what was not RISD. And the bigger issue, apart from the visual identity or not having a visual identity, was that we didn't have a shared understanding of what RISD stood for, what made it unique. Dre can definitely speak to this, but everyone had their own version or vision of what the institution was. Pre-pandemic, that was really the driving factor. We issued the RFP, I think, in early 2020. And funny enough, Gretel was definitely part of that. But I think we were scheduling the second round of interviews or second round of presentations the week before most cities or most schools or most institutions shut down. So I think we were trying to schedule a meeting for sometime in March of 2020. I think everyone's had a little bit of amnesia about like what happened over the past three years. Absolutely. And, or two, three years. And so <laughs> I think that's what happened. And so we put the project on pause and didn't really kick it off until a year later. So now we're talking like post, not post pandemic, but now we're talking about we've lived with the pandemic for about a year. And it just shed light on some of the issues that we originally raised in what we needed. It really shed light on the lack of tools we had to communicate effectively, both verbally and visually. I think it really shed light on our ability to articulate our reason for being. At that time, most colleges, most institutions of higher education, the value of those were being questioned when things went remote. And during that period, too, I think it also accelerated RISD's need to respond to, you know, our community was demanding for the institution to address uh, racial equity and inclusion in its curricula, its hiring practices, and the makeup of its student body. And so, sorry to be so long, but I think we revised the proposal and then went out again, ended up selecting Gretel exactly a year later in March of 2021. Can't remember exactly when we kicked off the work, but I think very quickly thereafter, maybe in April or May. And what were you hoping to find in that design partner? We started with a really long list of criteria and also a huge list of partners that we thought we could work with. Just starting to go through them, there's so many talented agencies and studios doing amazing work out there right now. Just the sheer quantity and quality, almost like overwhelming. But I think what we landed on was, you know, we really wanted a design partner that had a strong strategy practice. One of the big goals, apart from a visual outcome, was we really needed to have a shared sense of where we were headed and a way to articulate that clearly. We also wanted a partner that had a really wide range of clients that just didn't solely work in the cultural sector or just didn't work with startups or just didn't work with big corporations. You know, we wanted a partner that could easily move between lots of different organizations and had to deal with all the above, had the fluidity to deal with all the above. 
I think this really stood out with Gretel in particular. You know, we wanted a design partner that was curious and could take this on as like an intellectual exercise. The success of the project also really hinged on the ability for someone to come in, have an intellectual discussion with our deans, our faculty. We needed a partner that could navigate, you know, feel comfortable in those types of conversations. That was what we were looking for. It's a lot to ask for, but, you know, obviously we found a great partner. Yeah, but when there are so much creative around you, it helps having a long list because it helps you narrow down your options as you go down the process. Yeah. Now, Andrea, you obviously responded to the RFQ, but what was that process internally for Gretel? And do you respond in the same way to most RFQs or was this treated in any way differently? I think there's a sturdy way in which we tackle any RFP, any proposal. We really try to, first of all, understand the context as well as the brief. And we do a little bit of initial research to really start embedding ourselves in the mind of why does this brief even exist? We look at the history of the company and then we look at the competitive context and just try to place ourselves and give more dimension to the brief. In this process, we definitely went a little bit deeper than usual. In the sense that there was just a general excitement. I mean, this is a 145-year-old institution, a school that has been around for a very long time, has generated some of the most impressive talent worldwide. It has continuously engaged with the fields around them. And to us, it was really important to put some of the best thinking that we could. We don't do any spec work ahead of time, but what we like to do is do thinking and truly engage with what we're being asked ultimately to do. Through that research, we start finding some interesting concepts and we put together a sort of thorough proposal where the first version, which is in 2020, before the pandemic, was really focused around this idea of dialogue and how RISD really engages with the context around itself. And it builds that dialogue. It builds that critical exchange because of everything that we were reading. It's a highly intellectual school, but yet focused in making. And we like that sort of combination of the two things, the intellectual and the making. They even had a term for it, the critical making. In 2020, the focus was definitely on that concept. But I think, as Hui was mentioning, the focus shifted throughout the pandemic because culturally, throughout the States and around the world, there was a reckoning with a lot of realities. And some of them led to thinking about transparency as a core principle. For us responding the second time, we augmented the whole brief with a much deeper look into how we would make the process transparent, open, how we would involve the school itself, its community, not just the leadership, not just the board, but rather the people that have to live with it and carry it forward and make it grow. Throughout that, we studied quite a bit of the other public examples. Noheda had a great, uh, you know, Wikipedia now, I believe it's called, with a great microsite and so on. And we sort of tried to learn from the things that have happened in the past, Mozilla's, and come up with our own version that would engage the community at the right stages and would allow for that conversation to happen. And we put that forward. You know, we didn't have all the answers when we were chatting in 2021, but we had quite a bit figured out. And I think through the various conversations that we had with we, Kersey in the media group and the board as well, who was very instrumental in driving this decision, we sort of gave that more dimension and just got to a process that ultimately is the process that we took on, involving the community at every step or as much as possible. And aside from specific groups of the community, who else was involved in making this happen? Did you have any other core groups that were assisting in the process? 
from a project standpoint, we engaged the school in three groups. There's the core internal team that was Quee's team, the media group, who's really ultimately going to drive and is driving the identity and holding it and making sure that things are evolving in the right way. Then there's the board and the cabinet and the bodies that are usually decision makers, but they themselves were really pushing for the community involvement and making sure that the community itself, meaning anywhere from students to staff to faculty who had been there for many years, who have devoted their lives to the school, that we would involve all of the different areas of that spectrum of the community. Alumni also equally as important, of course, for the life of any school. For us, we had to create sort of a framework for that. And so for every presentation, we would have actually a three-step where we would share and have to then rearrange the feedback that would come in and, and sort of evolve things. It was definitely not as straightforward as some other projects, but it was such a learning ground for the entire studio. And I think also as partners for Risley themselves, like we have to really grapple with some of the things that were coming out, some of the differences. And it turns out it's just like a design critique, meaning in a design critique, you have various opinions. You might have your peers that are weighing in. You might have your professors or, you know, guest crits and is up to you to resolve how to drive that forward. In our, obviously, processes, this wasn't a personal expression. This was for the school. So we needed to weigh the interests, weigh the different inputs, and ultimately come up with something that reflected the common denominator across and really listened to everyone that we were engaging. Sounds like a very easy puzzle to solve. <laughs> Not. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right, a one-year puzzle. <laughs> now, one very small question is, was the entire studio involved? Or was there a smaller team? There was a smaller team because of the length. And I should add, sorry, for your previous question, there's an important piece of research. I was talking about the client as their makeup and sort of the stakeholders. From the project team, we had our internal Gretel team, but we added a very important, very critical group called OnRoad, who are based in London, who helped us conduct ethnographic research and look into the views and the lives of underrepresented students at RISD who are young, who are self-made creatives, who don't exactly fall within RISD. And this was an effort to understand what is the wider area that RISD is currently not including and how can we open that up? What can we learn from it? What can we learn about the creative attitudes that are alive today around us in a time where anybody can go to YouTube and learn anything that would be taught in a school? So what is the value of the school? It pushes a lot of really critical questions and allowed us to really think through. So OnRoad to us was an instrumental partner. They brought a perspective that helped us expand the research, helped us expand our understanding. But from the perspective of Gretel itself, we're about 35 oscillates, but we had a very small strategic team. My strategy partner, Kasha Gala, who led a lot of the strategic work. And then from the project management standpoint, we had Gary Greiner, who also helped lead that work. And then from the design team is actually pretty small. The core design team was made up of myself, Dylan Mulvaney, and Leah Lu. We would basically conduct all of that throughout the process. As we neared the latter part of the project, then we involved a couple more people just to help us with guidelines and plan out the applications and whatnot. But for the core of the project, it's quite small. And it might be just my upbringing as a designer. 
I think smaller teams that have deep understanding of what they're doing, a deep passion for what they're doing, that can have the continuity from the beginning all the way through, add a value and fluidity, a flexibility, a sort of power to deal with any curves, loops, anything that can happen in a project. And for us, that core group was really, really instrumental. We always have the soundboard from the studio perspective, the ECD, Ryan Moore, is a great person that we check in with and just have conversation from a high altitude, you know, strategically and in design, how are things evolving and also down to very specific design questions. That's pretty much the breakdown of the team. And we tend to keep them tight depending on different projects. But for this one, both the timeline that we had built and also the length of time that we needed to be on the project dictated that it wasn't going to be a 20-person project. Speaking of the timeline, I think we could have a three-hour podcast just on the strategy itself, (laughs) but we're not going to do that. But I do want to get a sense of how long the strategy phase was. We started in April. The research took two months because of the ethnographic research and because of all the conversations that we had. We spoke to over 100 folks across the board at the school. We conducted research surveys with students and the local community that surrounds them. It was a lot of input that we needed to digest. We created a research document that was the output, a full summary and synthesis of what we had learned. We had the ethnographic research that complemented that from an outsider perspective. So we were really trying to get a sense of 360, not just of RISD, of course, RISD is a focus, but actually the field itself, what's happening in art and design education, where are things moving and how can we position RISD so that they're not only honoring their past and their craft, but also poised towards the future. And then that quickly led into strategy. And once the discovery, what we call the discovery phase that had the research embedded into it was wrapped in in that two month mark, we kicked off strategy and then designs shortly after. And from there, there's voice, which was another big piece. Kasha, as I mentioned, the strategy lead on this and the great writer, Vern Diaz, helped us build the voice and the verbal understanding. And it's, it's a tool that had never been fully codified. And alongside with Queen and Kersey's team, like it built a dimension that crystallized a lot of the principles that were alive in different ways throughout the school and bring some cohesion through them. And then from there, that whole process of strategy, design and voice took us several months, about four, four and a half months into November. In November, we were getting to applications and wrapping up at the end of the year. Added to this, there's a custom typeface that was commissioned at the end of all of it. Yeah, but I'm going to pause you because we're jumping into too many topics and I need the client perspective (laughs) as well. I want to take a step back very quickly from the strategy. Were there any surprises or any super aha moments for RISD? that helped spark the next phase? One of the big surprise moments, aha moments, when it comes to this project, it's probably a little bit more nuts and bolts. I think just with folks being at home, folks being accessible, it just opened up the research process to include so many more people than I think in a normal project like this, we would have been able to access whether it's at Rizzi or at other places, it's always limited by time or money or even just being able to schedule people's time or travel. I think that made the resulting strategy work so much more robust. I felt like we got a really deep understanding of our community and the folks that would be impacted by this work. 
Yeah, absolutely. That is a trend that we're seeing across industries, just the accessibility to more people in this process and being able to get deeper within the research or the testing. If we jump over to the first iteration of creative, did you go in knowing you had one clear direction based on this tragedy and all of the research? Did you come with several different directions? What was that first meeting like in terms of official creative? We had a strategic meeting before we got to any design. Usually how we approach it is through building worlds. I'm pausing for a second because there was a big internal and actually with we and Kersey discussion around terminology and where the terms be used. There's a larger discussion going on in our industry where things like territories, we usually would call strategic territories, design territories, you know, is that a good term to you? And for the context of a highly critical and intellectual school, how do we translate things in ways in which we decolonize them? Because there's big conversations around that. And also not use brand speak. Reuse brand speak as little as possible so that anyone can understand it. The meaning of it and the use of it becomes immediately clear and it's not hidden by jargon. So we had a little bit of a lexicon reworking and, and sort of figuring out that piece, which was really interesting as an exercise. What we were searching for at first with the strategic first presentation is the guiding idea. So it's what normally would be called something like brand purpose or brand promise. For us, it was something more than that even. Like what's the core ethos, core alignment that the entire school can get behind and truly believe? What are they currently doing? What have they been doing for many, many years? We presented a few worlds around that. And the one that stuck the most is truly something that we heard in every interview. RISD is not a place where you go to shape or form things. You go to question, to experiment. You're not approaching it or you're not preaching design or art in the traditional sense of design thinking of like, oh, I'm trying to come up with a solution, I'm trying to solve things. You're actually approaching it from a quite critical standpoint. What is right? What is appropriate? What connects with culture? What is the form? What is the material? All of those conversations plus cross connection that happens during design could lead to a really interesting set of results. And you can see it in anybody's portfolio that comes out of the school. It's really tangibly different. And what I find really interesting from a person who looks at a lot of design portfolios for our studio is that there's a good mixture between intellectual and actual craft visible in projects. That in itself is a good summary of the school prepares people to be in the world. And at the same time, it prepares them to think in the world. That was a big learning from discovery that then led us to this strategic idea of the critical exchange, meaning RISD is a place where you go to learn how to exchange and truly engage with the fields around the people around it, with the craft that you're in. And ultimately that evolved into question to create, create to question, which is a more powerful statement because it speaks very directly to what happens at RISD. And Hui, what was the reaction to these different options that were being presented to you and your team? I think it was actually pretty surprising, as Adria mentioned, in that there actually wasn't a lot of critique around that. I think because folks in general felt truth in that statement. 
there was a lot of fear going into a process like this that it was about reshaping the school in a way that didn't feel natural or shifting it in ways that didn't feel appropriate to what it was. And I think the fact that it felt like a mirror back, but just crystallized and clearer and sharper made for a really easy conversation. I, I remember the one flip that happened was, I think originally it was question to create. And then in true like risky fashion, the response was, can it be an exchange? Can it go the other way? And so that was reflected in the end statement. A moment in time to have a critique, have a discussion, bend the idea a little bit to make it better. So again, just a reflection of what came out of this process. You never stop questioning. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now moving on and taking us back, Andrea, to where you were leading us, mm -hmm. the evolution of the seal and the custom typography. Let's get into more of those details and also the involvement of Ryan Bugden, who is, if I'm not mistaken, a RISD alumni. That's correct. How did all of that come about? From that timeline perspective, we had three strategic directions, no design work. Those got narrowed down to two strategic directions. And within those, we presented three and two design directions. So in total, the first design presentation was actually a five-direction which is more than we usually do, but it felt important. You know, at this stage, it was the second time we were going to chat with the community as well. So we had this open forum where the entire community was coming and we wanted to have a fruitful conversation and options that reflected different possibilities for the school. From there, it was narrowed down to three and then to two. <laughs> and then there was a moment in which the community was responding very strongly to one and the leadership to another. And we had to synthesize this. And ultimately, one direction came out of it, which was a net new direction. If you think of why question to create, create to question is important, is it establishes this loop of you're sort of thinking about what you're doing, you do it, and then you think again, and you make more things out of it. And in some way, you're going from states of completing something when you're making something to incompleting it again. And that idea of complete and incomplete connects also quite strongly with art and design education. You're never really done learning things. You're always continuously engaging with the field. If you're earnestly doing that, you're going deeper into knowing that you do not know, recognizing the ignorance and also just making more things out of that. And also it connects with the field itself. The idea that as artists and designers, we see things that are not there. We are continuously completing things that other people cannot see in our own individual ways from our own perspective. Once we identified that bridge from question to create to incomplete to complete, we had a lot of legs in design. And of course, it doesn't happen linearly, it happens through sketching. All of this is documented in the microsite, which the RISD team made a bold decision to just keep it entirely public. You know, it was public to the community, but it's accessible to pretty much anyone where you can see all the design directions and their evolution. But in that final stage, when we identified this design translation into complete to incomplete, we started playing with the idea that what if the typeface itself completes and incomplete? And what if the typeface contains this duality between something that feels historic to some degree, but utilitarian, something that you make something with? And we paired that with a completely different voice, which is a very straightforward voice, a, a neutral tone that was somewhat atemporal in a way. It felt contemporary, but it also felt at home with the serif. 
we had this display typeface very quickly kind of sketched in-house to prove the concept, to get it approved by the community, to get it approved by the RISD team, the RISD leadership, the cabinet. It was an important tool to kind of get the idea across and get sign-on. From there, we were already talking to a few foundries, including Ryan Buckton, all of them who were RISD alumni, very talented across different spectra of experience and in their career. Ultimately, RISD decided Ryan was the best option, which we totally agreed. This opportunity to collaborate with someone who's brimming with ideas, brimming with talent, craft. For us, it was a great opportunity to have someone who would be embedded almost in our team and would help us translate that very janky prototype we had made into something else. That process in itself opened up into its own set of explorations. I think we talk about lots of projects as, you know, a long, windy road. This is like truly a long, windy road with lots of detours, pauses, and interruptions. And this was definitely a project that from the design directions to even the type development was as deep as I couldn't have even imagined how deep it had gotten or has gotten. It also helped us re-articulate or understand what we were actually seeking out. We always had this idea of whatever we do, it has to feel appropriate to the institution. It has to be appropriate to its long history. It has to be a facelift that feels appropriate. You can't just put on a new outfit and expect that people will buy it. Even through the design process, even through the type development process, it was constant tension between like, how far is too far? Are we being too conservative? Are we pushing us to a place that's actually not true to who we are? And so I think what Andrea just described is us going through emotionally that process. Having a clear idea of what our principles were, but not a clear idea on how that should take shape. Well, that and as you balance it out with all the other parts, you know, sometimes you're focused on creating this one little aspect that it has a big impact, but it is still one small aspect and you don't know exactly how it's going to relate to everything else. So <laughs> as you're developing this quirky typeface that goes from complete to incomplete, that is also going to be communicating a tone of voice that you're developing that has to work with it. You can't just wing it. So what was the development of that voice like and how did it relate to the visual application? I think we landed on the general area within typography where we wanted the complete to incomplete to work. Obviously, complete to incomplete, you can do it to any typeface. You could take a sans serif, a slab, even a script. But to us, a serif felt appropriate, but a serif that wasn't overly ornate or historical, something that felt industrial to some degree, that you make things with, to have that immediacy of making. Utilitarian. Yeah, exactly. The utilitarian aspect was a through line because there's a pragmatic nature to an education at RISD. There's an intellectual nature, but there's a pragmatic nature. You're making things, you're learning about the materials, you're learning how they respond to your ideas. You're being pushed to engage with them hands-on. To us, a serif that had that sturdiness, that combination between somewhat academia, an academic voice, and the utilitarian voice embedded into it felt appropriate. That meant simplified serifs, somewhat contemporary model for it. That's where the work with Ryan Buckton was really expansive in the sense that through him, we were able to explore, you know, he made something like 105 prototypes, which means, you know, they're upper and lowercase, can typeset the entire Rhode Island School of Design, which is a large swath of the character set. He made numerals for most of them, punctuation for most of them. We were able to typeset entire paragraphs, and he was doing this at a very fast rate. 
we would have internal reviews with them. It was just an amazing thing to see, like day to day, even how much progress there was. Extremely talented and not sing his praises enough. The challenge with all of this was A, identifying exactly what frequency within that range that I was describing we would land on. What is the actual typographic model we're following? Meaning, is it a Dutch leaning Sarah from the 1700s or 1800s? Is it a more sort of Clarendon-like interpretation of it? Or are we talking about something like Times New Roman? We have a lot of gesture happening in the incomplete to incomplete, the typeface having these states. The task became, how do we make this typeface feel as sturdy, as usable, as readable as possible? And the Times New Roman model, with its own ways that Brian interpreted, felt appropriate. Something that felt usable and felt familiar, and yet had this gesture that made it completely distinct. It took a while to get there. Perhaps our starting point was actually close to the end point, but in true RISD fashion, we questioned this <laughs> over and over, even dipping into sans serifs that complete and incomplete in different ways, like sort of investigating the idea of completing to complete. Let's say it was a hairpin kind of road going back and forth. That application of how you communicate with the different groups, where do you fall in that tone of voice to counteract the typographic application. Thinking about our voice, like our written voice, how RISD speaks, I think one of the main areas and goals that we were trying to shift with that is moving away from higher ed speak. And how do you balance this need to speak clearly, speak humanly, but still speak as an academic institution? A lot of the guidelines that were developed by the Gretel team, you know, I think really took that to task. One of the premises is like not always knowing or rearticulating a question back to the audience. These are areas that we need to understand. In the past, it had been common to be really declarative, really common to feel like RISD had all the answers. Definitely a thing that we were trying to shift from the get-go, regardless of this process. Our team had been toying around with this idea even prior to the project in small ways and small gestures. But I think it really took this work to make it a priority and to actually articulate in a way that others could bring to life, not just one or two writers on our team. But that it could be implemented by many. So taking a big picture step back, for you in particular, what was the most challenging aspect of the entire process? Personally, I think the timeline and staying positive throughout the process. My role in this is, I'd say, is more shepherd than creator. And I think given, you know, I think I mentioned we started thinking about this in 2018, about four years ago. Keeping the momentum of the project going was really the most challenging part, along with making sure that regardless of whatever shifts and turns we made in the process that we were still maintaining our point of view on what it needed to accomplish. And this may have shaped some of the design directions too, but I think one of the things that we had talked about often is, is this a system that we can actually implement as an institution? We have a variety of folks on our team and at RISD in general. Can someone working in an office who's not a trained designer make something in the system? Can someone who is a trained designer and really talented make something in the system? You need to scratch that far. We don't have a ton of resources in terms of people to bring this to life. And so we really needed to make sure that it was something that we could actually bring to life and not just in a speculative fashion. Kind of flipping the coin on you, Andrea, 
Was there a moment where, for the creative team, you had this, yes, there's no turning back. We just hit the nail on the head with this visual aspect of the project. I think was that synthesis of two different directions merging into one and sort of having the core concept of complete to incomplete. That was sort of the true moment where everything clicked. What we tried to do throughout projects and why strategy is also an important piece of this, it's more than words. It's supposed to guide behavior. It's supposed to shed some light as to where you need to step next. So how question to create connects to the verbal expression is quite tight together, as we were just discussing. How it dictates what you do in design from the typographic decision, the expression of that, but then also layout. And then questioning to create in terms of the school itself picking its own colors, depending on where it sits, like academic departments being able to choose their own expression within the framework. That is really important to me. It was a critical moment in which all of a sudden we had alignment all across. Things clicked. Also, this type of typographic expression, not as prevalent, not as common. I hadn't seen it executed this way, and it was very exciting as well. From that perspective, giving a tool that can span across time is flexible enough. An overarching intent here was to, first of all, co-create the entire identity with the school itself, its community, its stakeholders. And then ultimately, give them tools as opposed to specific prescriptions on how to do things. We wanted to give ingredients like typography, like a framework for color, like written layout principles that are supposed to be questioned and interrogated and reused and changed so that when it reaches the school and it starts permeating and we're seeing it through Quiz Team's work and now other branches that are starting to embody it, that it gets reinterpreted and it feels fluid and fresh. At the core of the project, we were thinking about giving structure and space creating sort of the ability to have the tools to make, but know what is generally in line with the school, but also having a lot of room to build. And I'll offer one small nugget for us that we identified really early on. I've been sort of enamored with this architectural project by Elemental in Chile, an architecture group who, when tasked to build a housing project, made the bold decision to use the budget in this way. They would build a house where half of it was built and half of it was empty. They would give a stipend from the other half to the homeowners who would come to inhabit that house. So you had these communities of tons of houses that were half built. The other half would be completely up to the people living in it. In that sense, the structure and the space existed, the participation existed, the co-creation existed, and yet there's a framework and a way of doing this. You don't have an open feel like you're not building the house from scratch. You actually have some guidance, you have some structure, but it becomes yours. And if you look at photos of many of these projects that have done, they look completely diverse. And to us, the expression, the unique voices within the school were really important to preserve and give voice to, amplify them. The identity is built in that way and hopefully will carry on for quite a bit and evolve from it, from these tools. So that's Quick. Obviously, the brand and the assets and all of these tools haven't been out for very long. What is the initial feedback that you're getting across the various groups? I think it's been overwhelmingly positive so far, particularly for the folks that have been here for many years, ranging from our staff to our faculty. There's been such a hunger. For a cohesive identity? For something. <laughs> yeah, for something. I was talking to someone the other day, um, a studio that often works with some of our departments and 
I was just asking, like, how does a project start usually? They had said prior to the identity, everything had started with a blank slate. Thinking about that type of decision-making having to happen with everything, whether big or small, and just the amount of thinking required to build something from the ground up every single time. So the response has been overwhelmingly positive in that, as Andrea is saying, it gives structure, but it gives folks the flexibility to adapt. I'm really curious to see where it goes and where it sort of mutates into. I think it's probably impossible for it not to for it not to go in that direction in some way or another. But I think because we have the foundation of the type of uh, these core principles, it gives us a path to that future. Whereas had it been really prescriptive, had we walked in with a huge book of guidelines, I think folks would have felt constrained by that. I still think there needs to be some amount of that to start. But, you know, I think three years from now, five years from now, hopefully it will take in a whole new form, but still recognizable as RISD and recognizable as what the Grenell team created. Absolutely. It will be an interesting journey. And that kind of answers my final question that I had for you. What do you expect or what are you most excited about looking forward? And I think the evolution of this as being implemented by RISD is going to be a very interesting thing to watch and to guide and to mentor through since you have that history since 2018. You've got the foundational work, all of it in it. Now it's another fun part and an entirely new chapter in the evolution of the brand. Andrea, one last question for you is... Of the learnings from this open, transparent, all-inclusive process, is there anything that Gretel is thinking of applying to future projects as part of their core process moving forward for other institutions and projects? There's a lot that we've talked about in the learnings from this. I think the community involvement piece, you know, to some degree, when we're working with other cultural brands, there's a fair amount of that just naturally embedded in it, but it's different when it's this open. A microsite where things are thoroughly documented was not only helpful for the community to go through to provide feedback. We had an email that received comments, questions. Not only is it helpful for that level of communication, but it's helpful as an archive of the process itself. And it's helpful as a point of reference as you're making new decisions or even later on when you're in applications or rolling things out. I believe in studios and personally practice this as well, where you keep an archive of the things that you've done throughout the project. Some studios decide to print it, have actual binders with all of this. Obviously, that's somewhat wasteful in terms of paper, but it's just a great way to revisit and look at it and so on. Currently at Gretel, we're working on a project that is exactly that, cataloging entire sections of projects throughout the last years and sort of showing a lot of that. For me, in this case, the digital ability to quickly cross over from strategy to verbal to design, C1 and so on, it was so helpful. And I think that's one piece that we're taking on. The other piece is just the learnings on how to even do an open forum. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do internally? You know, someone like myself is speaking and then you receive questions. What do we do? So we had protocols that we've invented, you know, ways to kind of slack each other and track the questions with the RISD team and sort of say, okay, this is your turn, our turn and so on and do it all synchronously, but not in the same room. There's a lot of really interesting learnings just from that exercise itself, which I'm sure, Bernie, like from running all the conferences, you probably have experienced some degree of this, the live response to things. From that perspective, being able to have this back and forth was massively helpful. 
for the right process, right timeline, it fits. But something like the microsite is something that we are constantly thinking about. And the last thing that I'll say is just shouting out standards, the new brand guidelines platform, because we work really closely with them as we develop the guidelines. We're alpha testers. We did a version of the guidelines that was like that. It was closed. It was just delivered to RISD. And then with RISD, we work through the version that is live and everyone can go to. That's live powered by standards who evolve pieces of the tools based on our conversations. And even that part itself was part of the question to create and evolving and so on. And I think we had a very fruitful evolution of that to the point where we think this is now something that we're going to take on for more projects. Overall, it reassured us that the process that we've been taking on with other projects as well is one that is solid and can scale to this size, which is, as we were saying, I've been lucky to be part of many projects of many scales, but something like this is really out there in terms of the magnitude of stakeholders, historical relevance, and so on. It can scale to this size and it can go very small to other cultural and other projects that we have. And it's reassuring, I think, from a studio perspective that things are stepping in the right way. Final, final question, Hui. Since you have the creative side and the client side experience in a way in this process, do you have any words of advice for anybody embarking on a project like this with that openness and transparency? I won't give so much advice. I would say my observation from the process was that branding project like this, at least on the in-house side or on the internal side, it really is about storytelling. It really is about helping shift an organization to see things differently, to think about things a little bit differently. I think what was really beneficial about the open process, like the presentations that the Griddle team would give to us, 90%, 95% of the content and the directions would be shared a few days later to the larger group and open to anyone at RISD who wanted to join just opening it up in that fashion, just made for been at other places also in the house capacity where that process has been held and separated and put on the leadership side. You know, we would work with a CMO or a CCO and then roll it out very quickly. Folks' ability to understand and implement and rally behind something. Having this open process, I think, really facilitates that because people can follow it as they wish, can understand really the deep thinking behind it and not sort of a dumbed down version of it or a press release version of like what we're doing. And I think just seeing like all the avenues shows that it wasn't an easy process, that it wasn't simple and that these solutions weren't obvious. I think just opening folks up to seeing that as part of the process. Few people would be able to say, oh, I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean there's, there's definitely part of that. It takes a lot more than having a guttural reaction to a visual identity where they're like, I like it, I don't like it, I could have done it better. Move on, right? It gives you that depth of understanding. I do want to thank you both for being on the follow-up today. We went back and forth as well, just like your process since 2018, and I hope you both get a nice straight arrow drive for a few months before hitting something like this again. You definitely benefited from this windy questioning, revisiting process that, while it took a long time, should withstand a long time within the community and within RISD. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Brianna. Thank you. Thank you. RISD's well-known critical outlook on theory and practice evidently made its way through this identity, and it delivered an unexpected and fantastic system that reflects that tension of always trying to dig deeper and asking the harder questions. 
The result is even more satisfying after learning that this project was first attempted to be started in 2018 and that the RISD team was able to stay motivated and driven to undertake it despite the global curveball of the pandemic. One particular quote from Hui that stood out that should help any designer stay motivated and driven was about one of the ways in which we can help our clients. Having a clear idea of what our principles are, he said, as he recalled the redesign process, but not a clear idea on how that should take shape. It's not the best elevator pitch for designers, but yep, that's what we're here for. To help give visual shape to principles, and nothing could be more exciting. Or scary. And when in doubt, question. Today, thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll be here, we hope you'll be there.